Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, it is my joy and my pleasure to be here with you all live on the air on iHeartRadio and WAXE, and and also to be with you on the podcast if you happen to be listening in over 40-something countries that are listening to my podcast. I am so honored for all of the support, all of the feedback that you have provided, and, and for the listening. It is such a joy for me to be here. This is my favorite part of the week. I love preparing for my guests, and this guest that I have on today is no exception. It is an honor for me to be able to have her on the show today as she launches her the only way I can describe it is life-changing book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. Um, please welcome Dr. Joan Rosenberg to the show. Joan, thanks for being here. Oh my goodness, thank you, Laura, for having me. I'm so excited. This is just a such a special day. And you're already an Amazon bestseller, because I always check that for my guests on launch day, so congratulations. Yeah, well, that part I didn't know, so thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I always laugh, because so many of my guests that have books, and I'm doing a launch day thing for them, um, they're like, really? I didn't know. I didn't check. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and no, um, I, I just know that this book is going to change people's lives, and it's easily going to hit number one in so many different lists and rankings, because you are you are the real thing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll find out as we go along. All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what that means. And, and to my okay. listeners, um, I met Joan years ago at several different events out in California and after at one of them my now ex-husband called me up and it was a very very bad call that we had he was helping out with my mom and things just got really really bad on the phone and Joan happened to be there and she just started talking to me because I was so overreacting to the call I don't know if you remember that Joan I do I do very much and yes. I was so overreacting, I went back to the dinner, and I I really almost couldn't stop crying. And I knew that it was an above-the-board reaction. There's no way that that call should have caused what it did. And you said something to me that has changed my life and has helped me grieving my mom, which Mm. was when you hold grief in, when you hold emotions in at any point in your life, at some point, they are going to manifest in another way much bigger than a situation warrants. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how when my brother died when I was 10, I suppressed everything. And that was just it coming out. Yep, I understood, yep. And that changed my life. And to oh, read awesome. your book, 90 Seconds to a Life Your Love, um... It's like you put all of those Joan moments, the Rosenberg moments, that, as I call them, <laughs> into a book for everybody who can't get to you personally to help with their lives. So I want to just thank you for writing this book. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I, you know, I did a, a uh, book, uh, what are they called, at the bookstore. I put a book signing at the bookstore uh, last night, to, but right then, five hours before the book came out, and at the very end of my talk, and it actually moved me to tears, I said that I felt like I was sitting on a gold mine for 25 years. And or a diamond mind, whatever you want to call it, and I'm I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to actually release it uh, and and get the message to so many more people. So it's um, I I understand, and and just so you know, my my uh, prior students used to call my Rosenberg comments rhythms. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so uh, so so I'm glad that you still like my rhythms. I do. I, I very much do. They, there's one in the book that made me laugh, but it it really hit, well, so much hit home. I We're going to talk about that as the show goes on. I sure. had the pleasure of interviewing James Rollins, the author, um, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago at the Vero Beach Book Center and on the radio. And he talked about, now this guy has a shelf in the library of all his books that are all New York Times best-selling books. And it's currently, I think he's number four on the New York Times bestsellers. And you mentioned, and he talked about how he's still waiting for somebody to tell him this is not real. It's fake. You really don't know how to write. Your books are terrible. And, you know, imposter syndrome. But you called it the, in the book the hollow chocolate Easter bunny complex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think it's really important that we, we talk about that a bit sure. because it's come up for so many of my listeners. And I mean, your book has so much in it, but I'd like to start there because you look at things in a very different way. <laughs> I do. That's true. So how did you come up with this idea of instead of imposter syndrome, hollow chocolate Easter bunny complex. By the way, my father never allowed hollow Easter bunnies in our house. It always had to be solid because he liked biting uh-huh. into the ear and having like a real solid mass of chocolate. Oh, that's too funny. That's great. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sometimes stuff will just kind of pop out of my mouth as I'm trying to describe it to somebody and the, 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 some, the different metaphors or different images come to me. So the... The essence of it, uh, in in terms of uh, us kind of digging into that idea, and it's it, it's not a, it's not a, I mean what people will call the imposter syndrome. It's uh, there's things that happen that I think create that, and generally speaking, my experience is that one people don't deal with their own in this case unpleasant feelings very well. The pleasant ones most of us can do, so the it's the unpleasant ones that are the challenge. And, and so mine, uh, most people then, when they're dealing with this, they, they try to shut away, they avoid and they try to shut the feelings down. So, that, so that's the first way that we push back against our own authenticity, our own truth. And, and the second big way we do it is by not saying the things we really mean. And and the, and so if that's not if we're not doing that, then again we we're compromising our own authenticity. And so, so that when people then come around us and say, wow, look at what a great job you're doing, or oh my God, I'm so touched by your work, or I'm this, or I'm that, or whatever it might be that's complimentary, we push it away, or someone pushes it away, 
because they're not they're not dealing with their own truth. They know they're not dealing with their own truth. And I think there's an emptiness or a hollowness that's kind of left inside because of that. And I talk about compliments at the end of the book, which we should say for last because it's a it's a treat. I think if if we're going to go there in the interview, the so the the key here is that the compliments are important and and if people don't make use of this, so that if people don't make use of them, that's not good. And the made use of it, I'm talking about it in a very positive and helpful way. And the other is if they don't start speaking up and telling the truth of what's going on for them, then I think there probably will be elements of that imposter or chocolate bunny syndrome, hollow chocolate bunny syndrome. (laughs) It's such a visual way of describing this idea of being who you truly are in the world and, and putting yourself out there. And I felt like it, even though it's towards the middle end of the book, I thought it really summed up for me the entire book where you talk about these eight emotions that we really need to learn to master. And I don't know why, but the hollow chocolate Easter money really for me took all the different ones. And uh, is it okay for me to share or you oh, can share what the, what the yeah, eight yeah. are? In, I think it's, a, yeah, no, yes, of course we can share that. It's, I mean, it's all in the book, and I think I know what you're talking about. It's a prime 17, um, and it's in the, the Speaking Your Truth chapter, yes. And and those are, the, the, and the, there's one spot there, and there's another spot at the very beginning of the book when I talk about emotional strength, that if you do those kinds of things, it's it's clear that you're not dealing with your unpleasant feelings, and you're also not speaking up. I, I mean, it just it's like radar for me at this point. So, yeah, the eight feelings are sadness shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And you took all the emotions that were out there and brought it down to these eight are key to really becoming who you are in the world, to have confidence, resiliency, and authenticity. Yes. This is from all the clinical work you've done. For yeah, for 30, 40 years. years. Yeah. So how, why is it why these, these eight? Why these eight? Because these eight feelings are the most common feeling reactions to things not turning out the way you want or turning out the way you need. Okay. It, I found this really fascinating. Well, I found so much fascinating, but we only have an hour for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can come back. Okay, I'm going to have you back. You're definitely coming back on. So... When I was reading the chapter that had all of the eight, I was surprised that vulnerability had the most pages and anger had the second most pages. Why? Mm, I wasn't wasn't counting, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I notice things like that when I'm preparing for an interview because Uh they're they're keys for me as to what's going on and it's like a subliminal thing, right? So why is vulnerability such a hot topic for people why is it one of those emotions that can literally freeze people well let's let's uh so I, we should let me do a little caveat here absolutely um so because some people say well vulnerability is not an emotion uh, and so think of it as a state of mind it for me what i to 
to kind of wrap people's understanding about why kind of why I chose these eight. I've explained part of it, uh, and why this kind of language around it, vulnerability being the, a key piece here, is because this, these are the most common reactions that I watch. So it's it's a really practical application, and it's the everyday use of either these these feelings or these experiences, uh, and the the um, thing to understand about vulnerability, I think, first of all, vulnerability is the most unique of the eight that I named. And and it, I talk about two different kinds of vulnerability that, again, that I, most people I don't think really talk about. No. And it, it's really my understanding of how vulnerability works with the other seven feelings. So that there's, and do you want me to kind of go deeper yeah, into the conversation? Yeah, please, because okay. a lot of my listeners, they they know they need to be vulnerable, especially in their businesses. I had a, a new client just the other day. He couldn't remember what he quoted somebody on a price, and he was afraid to ask. Because mm. he thought so it would make him not look good. That way, so he's afraid to be embarrassed. Right. Which, and so, and, and I talk about how to approach that too in the in the conversation. It's called the preemptive bid in the speaking chapter. But the so yes, so the the whole thing with vulnerability is that there's I, I think of two kinds. One that that is where we all have where it's innate to us. We're we're born with it. It's it's just, we have it like uh, all other animals have it, and and it's this this uh, biological, if you will, reaction to, or neurobiological reaction to danger or life threat. So the, the first element to understand is that with vulnerability, it's the idea that we can be hurt. And so, and that I call non-conscious vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So anything could happen to any one of us at any time, and we're not in control of it. And that's just the way life works, and uh, and we just have to get used to that kind of vulnerability. But we don't want to live with that awareness twenty four seven, where it's super heightened, and then it w- makes it hard for us to function. And that's true when we see people have <clears throat> anxiety, high anxiety, or what people would call high anxiety, or panic attacks, or those kinds of things. They're living with uh, a heightened awareness, if you will. And misinterpreting that danger is all around them when it's really not. But so that's the non-conscious vulnerability. Okay. But then, then I talk about conscious vulnerability, and conscious vulnerability is basically choosing to put yourself in situations where you could get hurt. And so, I the way I define that vulnerability, and this I call conscious vulnerability, is an openness and a willingness to be hurt or to learn. So so there so now uh, what does that mean? So I want to go learn how to uh, I want to learn a skill. You know, I want to learn how to knit, I want to learn how to play tennis, I want to learn how to play guitar, I want to uh, I want to go play charades in front of my my friends. I uh, the game charades. I want to I want to be a um, guest on a radio show. <laughs> be a guest on a radio show. I want to speak on a stage, right? So um, so anything that puts us out of our comfort zone, I want to learn how to be a downhill skier. It does not matter what it is. It's choosing into, it's risking and choosing into something that is uh, that we don't know. 
and we're allowing ourselves to put ourselves in a position where we could be hurt, i.e. embarrassed, frustrated, angry, sad, disappointed, and or that we're going to learn something from having put our, excuse me, having put ourselves there. And and the the beauty of it is that the way you handle vulnerability is to get good at handling the other seven feelings. So that's what made it so unique is that it's a, it actually takes being able to manage the other seven feelings for someone to allow themselves to, to really be vulnerable in the world. Okay, so your book is called 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. Yes. What is it about the 90 seconds? I know in the book you share with people amazing exercises, journaling, and the process. And if you could share with my listeners, what is the 90 seconds? So the 90 seconds uh, is the title of the book, and it's the method. The subtitle of the book, is, uh, which is How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity, is really the focus of the book. Right. <clears throat> so, the, so that people have an understanding of, of the two. The 90 seconds, it, 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 when I, over the, and this book has been a 10-year journey, and over the years that I was writing it, it, this really emerges out of uh, neuroscience understandings. And there was a neuroscientist named Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor who talked about, who had a, a, a shorter book called My Stroke of Insight. And during the period where she had her stroke, um, she only had uh, her right hemisphere, her her feeling, spatial, music, uh, that, that hemisphere, not the, emo- the see the emotions, if you will. Again, it's a gross generalization. <clears throat> but she, she made an awareness, and that awareness is what kind of, cl- one of the awarenesses that clicked in for me from the neuroscience concepts. And that is that, that when a feeling fires off, in our, in our brain, that it activates, uh, there's a rush of neurochemicals or biochemicals into the bloodstream, and though that, that rush of biochemicals actually activate bodily sensation. So think of the heat in your cheeks from embarrassment or the flushing that you get from embarrassment. Been there. Think of, uh, what's that? I said I've been there. <laughs> been there. I think most of us have. Or or the the... A closed fist or heat at the back of the neck or or, or clenched jaw of anger or think of uh, think of a heaviness at your chest for sadness and again it's it's different for every person but but that's what she means by activating by this rush of neurochemicals is activating bodily sensations and and then the and it's the bodily sensations that help us know what we are feeling emotionally. So we actually, it, it, again, this all happens in nanoseconds. But we register the bodily sensation and then we go, oh, I'm, I'm angry or oh, I'm sad or oh, I'm whatever it is that I am. And, and then the, the biochemicals flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. So, and, and, I, and that's, I would say that's kind of an upper limit. And the... Um, the so it's it's just understanding that that one that you kind of feelings sort of come in waves. So the idea is like an ocean wave. You kind of want to surf your your own um, your own kind of bodily sensation wave, 
And it's understanding that two two major things here. It's understanding that the um, I want to capture my thoughts well here. It's understanding that first we come to know our feelings emotionally by how we feel it in our body, and two that any any given wave of feeling is going is going to be short lived. It's temporary. And, and again, 60, 90 seconds, kind of an upper limit. A caveat, if there's tragedy or trauma, it's different. So it, it, there's a more intense and, and a probably longer lasting. It, it imprints in the brain differently. Right. And, and the other is that <clears throat> what I realized, and here's the key turning point for the whole book, is that it's not that we don't want to feel our whole range of feelings. I think all of us do. Because that's what leaves us feeling whole and authentic. But, <clears throat> excuse me, it's that we don't want to know or, or feel the bodily sensations that help us know what we're feeling. And because and I struggled for, for wrestled with the, for years over how come it, it's so hard for people to experience unpleasant feelings. And what dawned on me and through this process, these 10 years, is that it's the bodily sensations people don't want to experience. And that's why people avoid them so much. So that's the 90 seconds. And the key is to ride the wave, any given wave, of the unpleasant feeling. So to allow whatever you're feeling to process through you for the 90 seconds before Uh, you... Try to you try not to stuff it down, disconnect, distract yourself, feel what you're feeling, acknowledge what you're feeling. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yes, acknowledge. I mean, I, I would rather people go for it. So the goal is awareness, not avoidance. In fact, I, I, talk about, I talk about it as a formula. One choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. The one choice being awareness, not avoidance. The, we've talked about the eight feelings, and then the 90 seconds is riding the bodily sensation waves. So that, so that you can stay present and stay aware of the feeling as opposed to avoid, distract, suppress, or disconnect. I sort of feel like the world has trained us, or a portion of the world has trained us, not to have strong emotions in some ways. And as women, to definitely not have certain emotions be allowed mm-hmm. to surface. So mm-hmm. we've stuffed them down quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, yes, we've socialized ourselves to stuff to stuff them down. That's correct. Yeah, and I, I've I've noticed, you know, definitely the anger and all of that, but the sadness and and the grief, as my <laughs> listeners all know, with my mom passing, I can't tell you how many people within a few days after my mom passing on social media were like, "You need to get over it." <laughs> oh my goodness, no. And it's no, like, okay, I'm sorry you didn't have the relationship with your mom that I have with mom, my mom, but I'm not getting over it in a couple of days. I'm not getting over it in a couple of months. I may never get over it. I may have it not trigger me quite so badly. But And we have to go into the national news break. So we'll, we'll pick that up when we come back. I am here with Dr. Joan Rosenberg, author of the new book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. Encourage everybody to get a copy of this book. Get it for people that you love. Joan changed my life years ago, and I am honored that she is on the show today and that she has finally written a book so that if you don't have a Joan in your life, 
you can have this book and have her in your living room, in your house with you at any point in time. We'll be right back after the national news. Welcome back, everyone, listening to us live on iHeartRadio, WAXE, out of Vero Beach, Florida. And those on the podcast, you didn't have to listen to the national news. Isn't that exciting? I love that. Anyway, I am here with somebody that changed my life a number of years ago and continues to, who has just released her new book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity, available wherever books are sold. Um, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, thank you for just sticking around for the entire show. I love it. No, I'm I'm in this for the long haul. This is my long game. All right. Well, you're coming back on the show another day. So (laughs) there's just too much to talk about with this book and everything. During the break, we were we were talking. You're telling a story about somebody you met when you were having dinner somewhere. And before the break, we were talking about um, how I've been processing sort of grief and and everything. And there's a an area of your book that was really difficult for me to read. And mm-hmm. I found myself putting it down and binge watching TV. And then I'd come back to it and it would make me feel very uncomfortable. And I'd go back to binge watching TV. Um, I've been binge watching Amazon Prime's um, The Good Wife. And what I found was really fascinating was then I got to the section of your book called Disconnection and Distraction how I call I'm going to call it the Netflix effect right where we find ways to continually disconnect from what we're feeling and distract ourselves I'll mm-hmm. let you know that I did finish the book and I did go through it and I processed the feelings <laughs> because I knew that you would kick my butt if I hadn't <laughs> <laughs> but a truth be told yes 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 I know you would you'd actually get on a plane come over here and kick my butt uh, true <laughs> so you were sharing this story about this person you met who said they had imposter syndrome. Right. Can you share that? Because I think that says so much about what, what I was just saying. So, so this was, I was saying that I, I had go, uh, went to a hotel for a conference, and the only thing that was open at that point was, was uh, a, a bar. So where they serve food. So I. Uh, so this is not a drinking story. This is just a, a food story. And uh, I ended up sitting next to a lawyer who was very active and a very public speaker and traveled all over the world and consulted, et cetera, et cetera. And and through our conversation, she and as often happens to me as a psychologist, as I had her turn to to me and we'd start to share parts of her life story, and the. And as she said, she had imposter syndrome. So I looked at her. I said, no, you don't. Uh, and she goes, yes, I do. I, I have it all the time. I said, can I ask you three questions? Or can I ask you a few questions? And she said, sure. So the first question, because uh, that statement for me is like radar. And there's, again, I, I mentioned there's two places in the book where, where it just becomes so clear if you answer the questions a certain way, um, then then it's pretty clear that, uh, if if we met on the street, I'd be able to know what was going on for you, um, because that's how common the reaction is. So the qu- question, the first question I asked her is whether she allowed herself to fully experience and move through unpleasant feelings. And mind you, I already knew the answers before she answered, and she said no. And I said, I said, uh, and do you, when you are feeling something or thinking something, 
speak up and say the things that you, like tell the truth to the people in your life about what's really going on for you. Answer number two, no. And then the third question I asked her is, do you accept compliments? Or do you accept, do you accept compliments or do you accept compliments well? Answer number three, no. And I said, I said that's why you have imposter syndrome. Because, because the, all the things that it takes for us to live authentically, which is to experience and move through, our, uh, be aware of, be in touch with, experience and move through our unpleasant feelings, which is the foundation and the base of it all. That's number one. Uh, that, if we don't do that, then we're not being authentic and true to ourselves. Uh, and, and if we don't tell the truth that we experience, the things we think about, the things we feel that are important for other people to hear, if we don't say those things, that are, are either important for us to say or important for them to hear, and again, in a kind, positive, and well-intended way, then, then that's the second major way we compromise our authenticity. And the third is to dismiss the truth of how other people see us that is actually, in essence, kind of a, a mirror to us, a reflection of us. And, and so that's the third major way that we compromise authenticity. So I just, I just knew if she did those three things, then she would not have imposter syndrome. So she wouldn't have what I, you know, kind of cheekingly or whatever, and I don't even know if that's a word, but called the hollow chocolate bunny syndrome or complex. Can somebody unlearn these behaviors so that they can truly have a confident, resilient, and authentic life? Oh my goodness, yes. That's why the book is there. That's exactly why I wrote the book. Because, I, again, mind you, I've had the opportunity to test this over 25 years. And I, it's not, I didn't just do it with my own clients. I teach, I've taught graduate school this whole time. And I teach my approach or my model to all the graduate students who are learning how to do psychotherapy, they use my model to go work with people and they watch the same results that I watch when people unlearn old habits that aren't good for them and learn uh, a, a more present way to, a more present and much more healthy way to be in the world. So it's, it, it, what, what I want people to understand is that confidence is, again, I'm not sure if I'm using the right word here, but confidence is learnable. It's teachable or learnable. So, yeah, it's absolutely yes. So for my listeners out there who are struggling with confidence, with resiliency, with hollow chocolate Easter bunny, <laughs> being unable to work through these emotions and they're disconnecting and distracting... Um, mm -hmm. which I, I've done with the grief sometimes because the 100-foot wave is so overwhelming. There are sure. some days I just, I, I want to let it out, but I'm afraid it'll destroy me in the process. So um, I've had a couple of friends who are just like, when you're in that moment, call us so you're not alone. Right. When you're losing it, you know? Right. So, sure. so for my listeners, what's one step they can take right now today before they get a copy of your book that can help them begin that process i think the first step if they if they know that they disconnect uh, through even the most common ways could be shopping 
been shopping. It could be drinking. It could be using other substances. It could be social media. It could be for men, it, it, more often than women. It could be porn so it, it, uh, or sex. Um, so there's all sorts of ways to, di- uh, to disconnect and distract. But the first thing to do is to become aware of that and, and then to ask yourself, what you're what you're knowing, thinking, or feeling that feels hard to bear. Okay, say that one and more time. That become awareness, become aware of your distraction. That, okay. That's number one, and then the second is to is to use that to kind of reverse your course, and and then to ask a second question to ask yourself is uh, is to. Well, you're not really asking them. The first thing is noticing your noticing your distraction, and then asking yourself. The second thing would be to ask yourself what it is that you're having a hard time knowing, thinking, or feeling. That's that's hard to bear, and and then and then to stay present to that. the The beauty of staying with your feelings, uh, or uh, from my perspective, is that you start to gain insight. And, and it's like, oh, well, maybe I should be um, making a decision to do X. Or, or the insight might be uh, that I need to express myself in a certain way. That you, or it moves you to taking action of some sort. So speaking or, or taking some other kind of action. So, um, so it's, it's super important for people to, to take those very basic steps. And, and I will tell you, when somebody allows themselves to stay more present to these unpleasant feelings, they will right away, in a very short period of time, they'll actually start to feel better because it's like they're, they're being more true to themselves. So there's something about, uh, there's something about actually just allowing yourself to be exactly who you are that I think helps increase confidence. For me, one of the other big things that came out of the book was saying to myself, you know, it's really okay to feel what I'm feeling. Yep. Yep. Doesn't matter what other people say. It's probably their own stuff. Correct. Yep. And that was really hard, especially on social media after my mom died. Mm -hmm. To, to say, okay, you know, that's how they're handling grief. They need to suppress it or push it down. Focus mm-hmm. on the other 90% of the people who are just there for you. Right. Why right. when we're in, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, Joan, but why when we're feeling these eight feelings, sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, embarrassment, disappointment, frustration, and vulnerability, why is it we tend to click on those one or two people who want to go negative with what we're feeling and tell us to suppress them or we shouldn't feel that versus the other people who want to support us and allow us to work through it? Well, I mean, it depends on how much you are influenced by other people. Okay. I think that would be one piece of it. So that so that if and and we all, we tend to be we're always I mean there's a there's a there's a survival reason that we pay attention to negative feeling and to and probably to negative views of others 
and and that is because we we want to belong and we want to know we're okay and and so if if other people are going if you know if we had 15 people around us telling or most of the people around us saying nope that's not good don't do that it would probably lead to us questioning ourselves and and it part why partly because we want to survive and partly because we want to belong and, and belonging is part of survival and and so we we what uh, I think I think it's Rick Hansen that calls it a, a negativity bias, but we have this negativity bias for for survival reasons. So I I think that that would be you so that you you're not gravitating towards all the people that are supporting you. You're gravitating to the ones that that go oh don't do that, get over that, or do it differently. Um, and I think it's it's mostly for those reasons. And I think today we're going to start a new world order where people start feeling and gravitating to those who want to help and uplift. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, I, I, I use this one phrase, and it's filtered throughout the book, too, about being positive, kind, and well-intended. And I really try to be around people but no matter whether they're acquaintances or close friends or, or intimates, doesn't matter. It's the, the people that are intimate and circle to me. Um, the is that I want those people to be positive, kind, and well-intended. That's the that's the energy I want around me. And and so you can one can use that as their own filter. It's like be, so that you know the experiences are much much warmer, much more supportive, much more engaged, uh, because these are people that have your best interest at heart. And you've done a couple of TED Talks, in addition to all the other speaking that you've done, that having watched those for people that need a Joan fix, a Dr. Rosenberg fix <laughs> for for an rhythms, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> they can listen. I, I loved your one, Emotional Mastery, the Gifted Wisdom wisdom of unpleasant feelings and the the grief, the pathway to forgiveness. I found Mm -hmm. them so helpful to watch those kind of things because it creates more awareness for myself. Yes. Yes. Do you have any other Ted talks coming up? I don't, uh, not that I'm aware of there. Uh, there was a possibility of one this year, but I haven't heard. I, I have a feeling it's not happening. So, um, they're but, lost. Well, I, will, <laughs> I will. I will let you know. Uh, but I may have a speaking engagement in Florida next year. So. Oh, next year, not this year. Yeah, not that. Well, not not yet. So. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna have to try to make that happen for you this year. We've got to get you doing some stuff down here, and you're always welcome at my house. So. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So if, if I'm trying to figure out, because we only have like. Um, Eight minutes left to the whole show, and there's so much more I want to talk about. Okay, so let me just throw this right back to you. If what is the one thing, or even if there is one thing, I know this is a hard question to ask somebody like yourself who's written this amazing book out, profiling so many years of your work. One takeaway that you want to make sure people get. I would say I would kind of encapsulate it, and and again, there's there's chapters on all these different kinds of things, 
Um, there's uh, there would be a handful of things. So let me try to zip through them in eight minutes or less. The uh, one is that understanding that being able to experience and move through your unpleasant feelings is crucial to your well-being. It allows you to feel like a more true, a more authentic, more genuine person, and you actually feel more substantive inside once you do that. Okay, and all my listeners, inside the book, there's actually questions and exercises for you to do, so you don't have to feel like you have to figure out how to work through those emotions by yourself. Joan takes you through it. It's a very practical application book, yes. Uh, and I think there's like 14 journal prompts and 20 different exercises. So it's, it's they're scattered throughout the entire book. In fact, I've, there's a compliment blockers checklist <laughs> even. So um, the, and a resilience checklist. The second thing is to understand that speaking up, learning how to speak your truth, again, huge chapter on this in the book, is singularly the most important thing a person can do. And it's not that we know ourselves and then we speak. It's not that we have confidence and then we speak. It's understanding that as we speak, it's and through speaking, that's how we develop confidence. So confidence and speaking is to me kind of the super glue to... to, uh, to the first part, to it's the speaking glue to confidence, basically. Gotcha. Um, and so that, so that it, again, uh, you, you feel you feel what you're feeling. Now you speak your truth. Or, so you, you experience your truth. You speak your truth. And the third thing would be taking action. So again, same thing. It's not a situation where we feel confident and then we take action. It's understanding that as we act, as we do things. As we take risks to do things, that's how we develop confidence. It's not the other way around. So we have to speak up to develop it. We have to take action to develop it. And the next thing I would be pretty insistent about is people people stop being so harshly self-critical. And again, there's a... There's a it's, it's an important I don't mean thing. to laugh, but I'm my worst critic, so... Uh, well, I, under- I understand, but hopefully you also now understand why you shouldn't be doing it. Yes. Uh, the And it's in, again, uh, this is all explained in the book as well, But uh, and I explain how to do it, and I explain why dropping harsh self-criticism is so critical. Um, I think it's the, the most significant damage that people can do to themselves. It's unbelievably self-destructive. And, uh, and what's more, I see it as kind of a distraction from unpleasant feelings. And then the fifth is to take in compliments. That's so hard so, for so many people to to just. It's like, how do you respond when somebody compliments you? Well, the the simplest is to simply say thank you. And so it's it's uh, you know I really want people to understand that um, that people around them are are acting as a mirror for them, and and then it's. It's, it's they're not giving you compliments out of the blue. Uh, in fact, I don't even know where the blue is. Um, so it's it's understanding that the people are complimenting you based on an experience they're having of you. So if you dismiss the compliment, you're sort of dismissing someone's. You're not only dismissing the, the, your experience of you, you they're, you're dismissing their experience of you. 
So it's uh, it's super important to take them in, and uh, if it's hard initially, just start by saying thank you, and then later sit with the compliment to see if you can uh, take actually allow yourself to take some value from it. My friend Bob Berg, he wrote The Go Giver. I don't know if you're uh-huh. if you're familiar with the book. the mm-hmm. The fifth law in the book is the law of receptivity. And he's like, in order to give, you have to hold your hands out for somebody to take something from you. And your hands are now open, and you need to receive the gift that they give you back. And that, mm-hmm. to me, that came up as you were just talking about allowing compliments. You've been yep. giving, so your hands are out as you're giving. Allow that compliment to come in. Yep, yep. In fact, I walked through people through an exercise to to take the compliments in. So, yes. All right, I want to yeah. make sure people know how to reach out to you, how to get the book, and I know there's lots of extra resources that you mention in the book as well, so let's share that before the end of the show. Uh, a couple different things. It's actually, my understanding is it's on the new release table at Barnes & Noble, so if people want to take a shot of them getting the book at Barnes & Noble and tag me on, on uh, Facebook or Instagram, I would love that, and... I'll give you a shout out for doing that. Um, the the it's every it's everywhere you buy books. So Amazon, Indie Books, Books a Million, you name it, it's everywhere, and it's now out to the world uh, officially as of today, February twelfth. Uh, and they can reach me at drjoanrosenberg.com. There's uh, material up there. There'll be more coming. Uh, there's also uh, let's see, they, they can look at the two TED talks. And uh, and uh, um, so they, they can find all that other information on drjoanrosenberg.com. Um, and there's a bonuses just for a week. So if people are listening beyond the week or two after February 12th, 2019, then there's some bonuses that are up on 90secondsbook.com as well. And you're on social media, and I know you have a Facebook group for people who have bought the book to help I do. Thank you. I do have the Facebook group for people who bought the book is uh, Life You Love. I uh, love love your life, um, and the the uh, and I'm if any pretty much on social media. Uh, if you look for Dr. John Rosenberg, kind of all one word, uh, that's how you'll and it's Dr. J Rosenberg on Facebook, and then the Love Your Life uh, Facebook group, uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn are uh, all Dr. John Rosenberg. Well, I'm excited for this book to be out there, and I'm so proud to know you and that you've actually gotten these insights out and into a book, because it's not an easy process to decide what goes into it. But I think it's it's a manual of life for all of us. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. That's kind of the way I see it. So, yeah, and I'm I'm also hopeful that uh, if some of your listeners are clinicians, mental health clinicians or coaches or uh, rehab counselors, that they'll take a look at it too because it's a, it's a great way for them to assist the people that they're working with. So I, thank you, Laura. That's a, such a great compliment, and I will take that in. Um, and I do agree with you. I think it is a manual for life. Yeah, and uh, you can quote me on that. 
Okay, I will. I said it on the air live on iHeartRadio. There's like a 50,000-person listening area just here, and that excludes iHeart and the podcast. So, you know, I'm being authentic and just sharing my, my true beliefs. So. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you for being on the show today, and let's talk about having you back on to talk about more about this. That sounds great. Thank you so much. And con- good luck with your launch. I know this thank is going to be a number one best-selling book, and it's going to change people's lives. So Thank you. Have a thank great you. day, everybody, and remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Hug someone you love. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 